The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. I'm your host, Lou Blaustein. If you're a sports fan in the United States, you likely are familiar with the term NIL. In case you're not, NIL stands for Name, Image, and Likeness, the two-ish year-old rule that allows college and university student-athletes to get paid for use of their, well, NIL. To say it is revolutionizing college sports is a supreme understatement. Most of the NIL attention has gone to the big money race to attract and retain football as well as men's and women's basketball players. What about NIL for good? That is a much smaller corner of the landscape, at least for now. But things are starting to change, thanks in part to the first climate-themed NIL program that was launched earlier this month, thanks to a partnership between EcoAthletes, the nonprofit launched in 2020 to inspire and coach athletes to lead climate action, along with Knights of the Raritan, the official NIL collective of Rutgers University, and four of the now six Rutgers student-athlete eco-athletes champions. For those who are unaware, an NIL collective is an organization that raises money from fans and businesses to then pay the student-athletes. In the case of this partnership, Knights of the Raritan is paying the Rutgers Fab Four, gymnast Caitlin Bertola, swimmers Halle Ole and Natalie Schick, along with Rutgers women's lacrosse player Kelsey Klein, to engage other Rutgers student-athletes, as well as the Rutgers and Central New Jersey communities more broadly, on joining the climate comeback and taking climate action. They do this through social media, in-person events, and podcast interviews like this. Fittingly, first up, is Caitlin Bertola, a senior on the gymnastics team and the first Rutgers Eco-Athletes champion. Caitlin, it's great to have you on Green Sports Pod. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here talking with you. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And we'll get into your gymnastics career and the Eco-Athletes champion pioneering that you've done on the banks and the NIL opportunity. But before we get into that, just take us through how you got into gymnastics. And also, since you're from Connecticut, how did you end up at Rutgers? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in Southington, Connecticut. I lived there my whole life. My family has lived there my whole life. And my mom kind of grew up doing gymnastics as well. So at a very young age, I think I was around two or three years old, she put me into gymnastics. And ever since then, I started at such a young age and just took off with it. And I've been doing it and just loving it my whole life. And it was always my goal to do college gymnastics. And 
always through middle school and high school, that's what I looked up to do. And that's what I wanted to work so hard for. And, you know, I was looking at a bunch of different colleges. And I remember I came on my visit, I was kind of later to look at Rutgers, it was only the beginning of my senior year in high school, which was a little bit late at that time. And Umi brought me here on a visit. And I just came here and I fell in love with it. I just fell in love with the coaches, the team, the campus, and just the location and all the different opportunities that Rutgers had to offer. And I remember going home and just immediately being like, this is where I want to go. And, you know, I've been here for four years, which is just absolutely crazy to say that it's already my senior year and I'm going to be graduating in just about a month and a half, which I just cannot believe. But it has definitely been a journey and one I'm just so grateful for. Well, I've been to a couple of the gymnastics meets. And what I can tell as a fan, aside from being just amazed at the talent level of the Rutgers team and the teams that come in and compete against you, is the team feeling that I see on the Rutgers squad. Talk a little bit about that, what it's been like, and what Coach Umi Beasley has kind of created for a gymnastics program at Rutgers? Yeah. So team culture has been such an important aspect to our team this year and just the past years as well. And we've just found it so important to create an environment that is so supportive for each and every one of our teammates. And we all just want the best for each other and to see everyone succeed and just do what we love and have fun with each other. So that's been having fun and enjoying gymnastics has been a really strong point in the season. And I think it's really what helped us do so well, because we were all just really enjoying in the moment and enjoying the present. And Umi has really fostered in a strong team culture and just having the support from our coaches and having the support from your team just throughout the entire season, the preseason, and just throughout the whole year has been a really great aspect. So Caitlin, talk a little bit about this senior season where you were the captain and there were some injuries and other challenges. How did you fight through it? And where did things end up? Yeah, so I think every season, everyone has their ups and downs. And, you know, this season I had my ups and downs and so did other people. But what never left was the effort and the mentality to work hard, put in the work and do better and get better for the team. And that was something that was really great to see, just to see everyone come in each and every week and every day and just see that the effort was there and everyone was striving to work towards a better goal and to get better each and every day for season in practice. And having our last meet at home, which happened to be my senior meet, was when we broke the school record, which was just absolutely incredible and so amazing and I knew this team was so capable of that and even more but just to do that at our last home meet of the season was just the cherry on top and it was just a great way to end out my home season at Rutgers and just to end up out our senior meet yeah I was there at that senior meet and against West Virginia and I think it was Southern Connecticut or maybe it doesn't matter but West Virginia was the main competition Oh, yeah, it was West Virginia and UPenn. Yeah, West Virginia and UPenn. Thanks for that. And it was awesome. The spirit and the crowd, it is just a real great atmosphere that Coach Beasley, Caitlin, and her teammates have created for gymnastics in Central Jersey. So now pivoting to eco-athletes and your interest in the environment and your interest in being a champion, 
How did that all come about? Yeah, so I remember when, you know, this idea was kind of presented to us in what we call SAC, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Committee here at Rutgers. And I remember just hearing about it and it definitely sparked interest in me just because first I kind of became interested in this kind of stuff through nutrition and kind of buying organic products and eating very healthy and things like that. And it kind of factored into walking as much as I can and just being outside and then reusing and recycling a lot as much as I can. And I remember at the start of the year, I told Lou that my goal was to make sure each and every day we were getting lunch and breakfast. I caught myself constantly just taking a container and throwing it out. And I was like, I need to stop. And I remember I told him it was my goal that every day from now on, I was going to bring in my own containers to reuse each and every day. And I stuck to that promise throughout the rest of the semester and the rest of the year. And it kind of just being a part of Eco Athletes, it just definitely sparked a lot more interest. And I started becoming more aware of things that I could do that would positively impact the environment and just things in general and more information and just learning about it was very interesting to me. And how was it when you started bringing in your silverware, so to say, how did the team react? What did they think? I definitely saw people noticing me doing it and people started being like, oh, you're so good, like bringing in your own containers. And then actually a couple other people started doing it as well. I did notice every now and then, which was good to see that I was able to influence a couple of people just to help reusing and reducing unnecessary waste. And so what a great legacy to pass on to the people who follow you at Rutgers on the gymnastics team, a legacy of environmental caring, which is what we want to do at Eco Athletes. And so now you and four other Rutgers student athletes are part of the first ever environment slash climate focused NIL program in NCAA history in combination with or in partnership with Knights of the Raritan, the official NIL collective for Rutgers. And what we are doing in partnership with them, Eco Athletes, that is, is providing an enhanced platform for the Rutgers student athletes, the Eco Athletes champions, to share your vision for the climate comeback. This podcast is one of those platforms. How did you feel when you kind of heard about this program? I thought it was just such a cool opportunity because you see so many things happening with NIL and just seeing one that is such a beneficial cause for not only here at Rutgers, but across the whole world. I thought it was such a great thing. And just seeing how far Eco Athletes has grown since I've joined and with more people being added to, I feel like each and every day I get a new LinkedIn post saying a new eco-athlete was added from a different school or a different sport, which is just so incredible to see. And this opportunity with Knights of the Raritan, I think is just so awesome and such a positive impact for NIL. Well, I want to thank you, Caitlin, because you were the first eco-athletes champion at Rutgers. And I think it's not always easy to be the first. And I also saw though leadership in you. And I, when I heard how you advanced all the way to be captain, I said, Caitlin is going to be perfect for this role. How did it feel to be the first 
champion and now in the first NIL, like a first of a first. Yeah, it was definitely like a little weird being just by myself at first. And I was like, oh, I don't really know what to expect right now. Like, are more people going to do it? And then just seeing how many other people have been added to Eagle Athletes at Rutgers. I think it's just such an incredible experience and just so great to see. I like to say we now are experiencing a scarlet wave in the climate comeback as Rutgers now has the most currently the most student athlete, eco athletes, champions. I'm sure other universities will try and catch up, but I'm glad as an alum that RU is in the lead. So now just share a little bit with our listeners what you're looking to do after you graduate and then also how we can continue to build this movement on campus at Rutgers within gymnastics and beyond within the athletics department. Yeah, so after college, I'm looking to go into public relations. So I've been exploring that journey right now, figuring out and applying to different places. And I'm currently interning at an agency right now. So those are my plans for after college that I'm trying to get situated and figured out. But I think for eco-athletes at Rutgers, I just see it growing even more than it has. And I think just the more awareness and the more information that people are getting and seeing what you guys are doing, I think it's just going to help it all flourish and just grow tremendously throughout the campus. Well, Caitlin, this growth would not have happened without you. And I really, really appreciate you being part of and leading the movement on campus at Rutgers. And really, to your point earlier, we see this NIL program as something that we can then bring to other schools. So I also thank you for being part of that. So thank you again. I know I've said that several times and all the best. And I expect to see you at a gymnastics meet next season. And And maybe we'll even have another gymnast to be an eco-athletes champion. Yes, you will definitely be seeing me at a gymnastics meet next season. I promise you that. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. And now we're going to continue our conversation with three more pioneers, three more eco-athletes champions from Rutgers who are part of this NIL program, this breakthrough NIL program through our partnership with Knights of the Raritan. And that is a pair of swimmers, Halle Ohl from Michigan, who is primarily a butterflyer. Halle, say hello. Hi. Natalie Schick, Madison, Wisconsin, who is a backstroker. Natalie, welcome. Hi. And Kelsey Klein from the Rutgers women's lacrosse team, who is local to New Jersey. Kelsey, great to have you on the podcast. Hi. Awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the backgrounds of each of our champions so you can get to know them a bit. And then we'll talk about their climate comeback activism. First, let's start with Holly. Holly, you started swimming at a relatively young age. And tell us a little bit about your swimming career and how you ended up at Rutgers coming from Michigan. Yeah, so I started swimming actually after I almost drowned. My parents put me in swim lessons and I hated it at first. I really did not like it. 
But after a little bit of encouragement and meeting some really cool mentors, I ended up joining my summer swim club. And through there, I was encouraged to join a club team. And after I did a couple of years of that, I ended up loving swimming. It became like an obsession and a passion at the same time. And going through middle school, I swam my middle school team and my high school team was when I realized I really wanted to take swimming more serious. And I decided to swim in college around my junior year. And I committed to Bates College where I swam for one year. In Maine. In Maine, yeah. Division three. Yep, D3. And just was not the right fit for me. So I ended up transferring, going into the portal around January of 2022. And then... Coach McCall here at Rutgers contacted me in the early spring and I took a visit and I loved it and committed to Rutgers University. And now I'm swimming here and it's been it's been great. I really love it. And two questions coming off of that. One is butterfly. To the average like non-swimmer human, it just looks impossible. Like, how did you decide that was your stroke? And what's it like to compete in the butterfly at the college level? So around 10 years old, I wanted to be different and I wanted to be the best. And the one stroke no one wanted to do was butterfly. So I had told myself I was going to get really good at it and I was going to be the best. And it took a lot of just dedication and patience. And I was naturally already pretty good at butterfly. So just a little bit more training. And actually my sophomore year of high school was when I really started to become a dominant butterflyer. So I was our butterflyer in the relays and then college, I just took off and it's my stroke and I love it. I feel like butterfly, it's almost like you're flying. Like it's a different feeling than any other stroke when you get a good rhythm. Well named then. And then my other question is coming in as a transfer, you're the only transfer of the bunch. What was that like? I can imagine it could be hard, but how was the welcoming in from the team and going from D3 to D1 and middle of nowhere, Maine to like the most densely populated state in the country and jug handle turns and whatnot. Yeah, it was tough. It definitely was a transition, but like looking back on it, it was the best thing I've ever done. I mean, from my recruiting trip to the first day at practice to now, I've always felt welcomed on the team. I don't even feel like I'm new, to be honest, because I just feel like I've been here for so long. I've been integrated by both the coaching staff and the team And it's just been amazing. I mean, everyone is so welcoming. And that goes beyond just the swim team. I mean, my professors, my classmates, I've really made connections since I've been here, which has made the transition a lot easier. (laughs) But I love it. I regret not coming here my first year, but I think failing and not having a good first year taught me a lot of lessons and really allowed me to persevere through times that weren't as great. And it taught me a lot when I started my journey here. That's great to hear just because I know transferring is not easy. And it's also great to hear as a Rutgers alum. Now moving over to your fellow swim team member, also from the Midwest, but from a state just a little bit further west. And that is Natalie Schick from Madison, Wisconsin, kind of the seat of liberalism out there. And Natalie, a little bit about your story and how you got into backstroke and then also If memory serves, I believe you went to Texas for your last year of high school, and that might be a little different than Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, so I started swimming from when I was a baby. My parents just put me in swim lessons because my 
My uncle was a really good swimmer, swam in college, went to the Olympic trials for butterfly. So that was kind of like an inspiration. And I really wanted to be like him when I was little. And I joined our summer team at seven and I just fell in love with it right away. It was so much fun. And I had been in the water for so long and I'd go to open swim and I would just swim up and down the pool and keep practicing. And I fell in love with it. And then by nine, I was like, this is what I wanted to do. I was so sure. And I started swimming year round and fell in love with it even more. Was able to go to like state meets, national meets, zone meets. It was really, really fun. Same thing with my high school team. Just like it really made me love the sport. And I knew I wanted to swim in college from like eighth grade, freshman year of high school. That was just something that my goals were to get to a division one program. And when COVID hit, it was really hard because everything in our Madison just shut down completely. And there was, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. And I really, really just wanted to swim and losing my sport was really hard for me. So I, I was really lucky and I was able to move down to Texas for my senior year to live with my grandparents because everything down there was kind of open. So I was able to train and swim and it just made, it made my senior year a lot better for me personally, because I had my sport. Which I think is incredibly fortunate. What was it like to switch from Wisconsin to Texas? And then follow-up question, how did you end up from Wisconsin to Texas to Rutgers and New Brunswick, New Jersey? Switching from Wisconsin to Texas was a, it was a big switch. I mean, I've visited my family down there a lot over the years, but it was just a very dramatic political change. It was like a whole different country, honestly. It was it was kind of crazy, but it was kind of more like normal life. So it was it was really nice. And then I committed to Rutgers during COVID before I went to Texas, like the end of my junior year. So kind of right when COVID was hitting. Because of how the recruiting process worked, I didn't end up getting to take any official visits or anything. So I just I kind of based my decision off of Zoom calls. And I loved the team over Zoom. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, if a team can do this over Zoom, it's going to be great in person. Because some teams, you would meet with them over Zoom and it just like they couldn't connect. It was it was awkward. It was hard to it was not good. And this Rutgers was it was amazing. They didn't have good Zoom skills. No. (laughs) Now, you're a backstroker. So similar question to what I asked Halle. Why backstroke? That to me seems not as otherworldly as butterfly, but it also seems hard in its own way. You're going backwards and you kind of don't know when you're going to hit the wall. And it's like, that doesn't seem easy either. No, I mean, kind of like Halle, I kind of gravitated towards it from a young age. I had some natural talent for it and I just loved it. And I love being able to like look up at the sky while I'm swimming and like seeing the clouds, and, like the sunset. I love it. It's and you do it so much that you kind of know where the wall is after a certain point and you have the flags to help you. But I could probably do it with my eyes closed at this point. Just it's like muscle memory by feel at this point. Because the backstroke's the only stroke if I've got it right, where you start in the pool, like you're not that, and then you pull yourself up and then the gun goes and then 
you explode. What's that first explosion like? It's awesome. I love the backstroke start is so much more fun than a regular start. You just like, you push off and you're like flying through the air and you just make this like backwards arch, like, like a little backwards dolphin dive. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It does look it. I think if I was a good swimmer, I would just do the start, go out a few feet, come back, start, go out a few feet. That would be it for me. Now we move to Kelsey and we switch from the water to the field of lacrosse. And Kelsey also, as compared to Halle and Natalie, is not from the Midwest. She's a Jersey girl. So Kelsey, tell us a little bit about your journey in lacrosse and how that ended up in New Brunswick or Piscataway. So I started playing lacrosse when I was pretty young, probably third or fourth grade. And that was mostly just through my town rec program, but I fell in love with it right away. My middle school didn't have a team, so we just continued on with rec. But all the while I joined a club team and I stuck pretty much with that club team from fifth grade to junior year of high school when I eventually committed to Rutgers. And in that time period, I just worked and I grew with the sport, but I also joined track and field and I really liked indoor track a lot. So it came down to a point where I was getting recruited for lacrosse, but I had to weigh the pros and cons of maybe wanting to run track in college. Instead, I eventually made the decision that I wanted to follow through with lacrosse because it just brought me more enjoyment. So throughout high school, going to summer tournaments, thanks to my parents, I don't know how and why they wanted to sit out in 100 degree weather on turf in the sun all summer. So I'm very thankful for them that they were okay with doing that. But sending emails to college coaches, playing in a lot of games, clinics, showcases, and eventually September 1st going into my junior year came around when we are actually able to start communicating with division one coaches. And I spoke with Melissa Lehman, our head coach on the first day of that recruiting window. I loved everything she had to say. I took my unofficial visit here two weeks later, fell in love with the school. Originally, I never considered going to school in New Jersey. I kind of wanted to get as far away as possible. But honestly, upon my first visit to Rutgers, I fell in love with it. I loved the coaching staff, the program, and I knew that the lacrosse team was on the rise and I wanted to be part of something special. And we've had a lot of success since the time that I committed. And what was the transition like from high school to college lacrosse? Because I've heard that that is a big leap and especially into division one. Yeah, it was a gut check. I thought that I was playing against good competition in high school and I was always at the top of my club team and on my high school team, but getting to college, you realize that you're playing with and against every single player who was the best on their club and high school team. And it, it was a shock because the competition I'm playing with is so much better. And honestly, it makes you feel a little bit outmatched sometimes. And it definitely took some time as a freshman to acclimate. I'm a sophomore now and I've had a lot of time. So I'm starting obviously to feel more comfortable with everything. I feel like I fit into the program, but it took some time. And it sounds like to your earlier comment, that you're coming into the team and starting to feel more comfortable as the team is starting to rise in the Big Ten and maybe even nationally. So as you think about your junior and senior years upcoming, I know you're still in this season, but 
what are some goals that you have for the team coming forward? Competing in the national tournament, getting further every year than we have the previous year, and just continuing to grow as a team, taking some of our weaker points and making them into positives. And I think that with the amount of practice and the amount of reps that all of us get, that's very possible. Well, I can see that this is a sport, women's lacrosse at Rutgers, that is going to go from pretty good to very good. And it's very, very exciting that you can be a part of that move to the very good stage. Speaking of transition, we're going to transition our conversation to your interests in climate. So I'm going to go in the reverse order. Kelsey, talk a little bit about how you got into it. So I've always been somewhat at least interested in the environment. It started really in middle school, but going forward in high school, my sophomore going into junior year, I took a pre-college trip through Brown University to Alaska, and it was called the Brown Environmental Leadership Labs, where we worked closely with college professors at the University of Alaska Anchorage, but also with the Center of Alaskan Coastal Studies. And just this was the time period where the Trump presidency was trying to open up ANWR for oil drilling and for fracking. And we worked for and against it. Surprisingly, for a lot of Alaskan residents were in favor of this drilling for economic stimulation and for jobs. But we heard a lot of both perspectives and worked closely with people in the environmental field while we were there. And this only really sparked my interest and made me even more interested in the subject. So I wasn't originally going into college as an environmental major. I was a meteorology major, took an intro class my freshman year, realized this wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing and switched to an environmental policy major and just really fell in love with the subject. The coursework is exactly what I want to be doing. And it all of my classes pretty much overlaps. And it just every day reaffirms that this is exactly what I want to be doing. Well, I love that journey. And if we're going to maximize our abilities in the climate comeback, we need to get smart policies to allow us to maximize our success. So I'm really glad that that's an area that you're looking to pursue. Natalie, same question to you now. Talk a little bit about how you got into environment and climate. Yeah, so environment and climate, we actually learned a lot about it throughout my schooling experience, like starting in elementary school through high school. It was kind of a big part of our curriculum. And in high school, I was kind of involved with our green club, which is like a national environmental club. And we did a few like school-wide walkouts for climate change. And that was really cool. And when I came to Rutgers, like an environmental major has never been something that I really wanted to do. So I'm really passionate about the brain and neuroscience. So I'm majoring in cognitive neuroscience and psychology right now. But something that's been really interesting to me that I'm been learning about and like would like to learn about is kind of the psychological aspect of climate change and like why people don't believe in it and just all of these psychological aspects that are so crucial to climate change and like the environment itself. I think this is a fascinating line of inquiry. I think there are the psychological aspects as and those are definitely worth exploring. In addition to What do you think about the psychiatric aspects, i.e. the way our brains are hardwired chemically 
to deal or not with what could be existential crises or existential attacks. I would think there is something there. I definitely agree with that. I think that's really interesting. And I I don't think there's enough research that's been done on it or being done on it currently either. Not yet. You know, Natalie Schick may just backstroke her way into that research. And so now, Halle, tell us your environment climate journey. Yeah, so I've always been more on the conservation end. Growing up on the coast of Turkey, we see a lot of the environmental impacts on the Aegean Sea, specifically with how much biodiversity has decreased. I think the most aware I was of that was when we hadn't gone for two years because of COVID. And it was insane going back and just taking just like a surveillance of the biodiversity and and places we'd always visited and how extreme it had changed in that short of a period. So I am a poli-sci environmental studies double major. And originally my intention was to go pre-law, but now after really learning more about conservation and how climate change has impacted that, I'm looking to go to grad school for conservation now. So I think it's just fascinating. I mean, there's so many ways in which climate change is impacting our environment, but I feel like a lot of people don't focus on how it's affecting organisms worldwide and more so how it's affecting our weather patterns. And I think it's going to be fascinating because there are so many animals and organisms that really benefit from these climate change effects. But with that being said, there are so many more that are really suffering from these changes. Oh, I think the biodiversity slice of the climate environment kind of whole is an absolutely crucial area to try and make a positive difference in. And I think Turkey has suffered tremendous environmental and climate dislocation. Not only Turkey, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, that area, which the country borders change, but the geography doesn't. And there are a lot of data that show that the mass emigration from that region in 2015, 2016 was in large part fueled by the massive drought that also uh, impacted other species than ourselves that meant that farmers couldn't grow their crops. They had to move into the urban areas, which were already crowded and had uh, urban problems already. And that just lit a fuse. And then that led to this mass migration, which has its own problems, huge problems, as you know. So you're experiencing it in real time. I I commend you. I commend all of you for what you're doing, actually. And it's a really good segue into talking a little bit about eco-athletes and how that appealed to you when you first heard about it and what attracted you to becoming part of it and maybe what you can do with it. And I'm going to go back to Holly for that. Yeah, for sure. So I was doing a lot of research this past fall of just ways to get involved in terms of environmental advocacy. And to be honest, I wasn't really finding much, which was really disappointing. And then on LinkedIn, I ended up seeing eco-athletes and it was kind of like the heavenly music started playing because I was so excited to see something that was not even just like an advocacy for climate change, but it was so specifically for athletes, which is really unique compared to a lot of other programs. And it just worked out perfectly. I think the best part of eco-athletes is just not even being able to use our platforms, but to meet so many athletes worldwide that have the same goals. I remember specifically that one call we had with the guy from Australia, and it was so fascinating 
Like it's such a big world, but such a small world at the same time. You know, all of our ideas are alike and being able to collaborate with everybody. its It's been really fascinating. And Holly is referring to Eco-Athletes champion Ridian Cowley, who is a two-time Olympian in the sport of race walking and also is a strong athlete, climate action advocate and activist in Australia. And he walks the walk literally, sometimes 50 kilometers. I'm going to go to Kelsey with the eco-athletes question. So similar to Halle, like I was told about eco-athletes by one of my SAC reps, a member of my lacrosse team. And immediately it just struck as something that I really wanted to do because it's a perfect combination of my major and my interests and my position as a student athlete. And I thought it was something really feasible for me to be doing. And just the fact that it is this perfect combination made it something that I really wanted to be involved in. And and right away, I did my best to get involved. We are very glad for that, Kelsey. I'm going to ask Natalie to weigh in as well. Yeah, so I kind of heard about eco-athletes through Halle, actually, and she was super excited telling me all about it, and it just sounded really, really cool. And then I had the opportunity to speak to you, Lou, and it was great, and I was really excited to learn that like I could use like neuroscience and psychology background and kind of apply it to this, and especially not being an environmental science conservation major, having all these opportunities to learn more about climate change because I don't really get to do a ton of that in my actual schoolwork is really, really awesome. And equally awesome, I'll say back, is that the fact that you aren't an environmental science major, the way I look at it, climate affects everything. And so the people who are going to make a difference, no matter what jobs they have going forward, whether that job is Olympic swimmer, or if that job is neurologist, or whether that job is dentist, there is a climate aspect to all of it. Dentistry, you may have to search a little harder, but we can find it and make sure you floss daily. So this is a really good segue into, so you guys are student athletes, you have a platform on your own, and then Eco Athletes is helping you to amplify that. And now comes this opportunity through Eco-Athletes partnership with Knights of the Raritan, the official NIL collective of Rutgers University Athletics, to even broaden that platform even more. And, you know, you guys are living through the beginning of the NIL era. And what does it mean to you to be kind of, not kind of, you are the first student athletes, NCAA student athletes, to be part of a climate-focused NIL program. I'm going to start this one with Natalie. What did you think of when this was brought to you and what could it mean? I was super excited to hear about this. I had no idea this was the first one and anything about it, really. I'm super excited to just be able to share my experience and learn about other people's experience and use my platform. And it's just been really awesome, really. Fantastic. And Kelsey, you know, a lot of the NIL conversation so far, at least what I've heard, you know, has surrounded football and men's and women's basketball and maybe a couple of other famous athletes or athletes who've become social media stars. This is NIL for good. 
and specifically in climate in this case. What are your thoughts about being part of something like that? So obviously, like you said, the whole name image likeness thing is relatively new. There's a couple girls on my team who are involved with some NIL deals, but this is really my first opportunity to be doing so for a good purpose for the climate. And I just think that's really awesome that we can be the first people to do that and branch it outwards, get other people more involved too. And that's what our goal is. And and I'll pivot to Hale for this last thread of this conversation. We're kicking off the NIL program with this podcast. We're going to do some social media programs. However, a couple of things that we want to do coming into the fall semester will be talking to the broader swath of Rutgers athletes about athlete activism, NIL, through the prism of climate in this case, and also to high schoolers. How do you feel about being part of that? I think it's really engaging. A lot of the research I've done in terms of policy change has been with people advocating and sharing their knowledge. And that seems to be the most powerful resource. And I think having the opportunity to be able to do that, not only as student athletes, but being able to talk to people, even high school students, and just sharing climate change and our ideas, I think it's it's really, really important. And it's something that is just not being done. And I feel really grateful to be having that opportunity to be one of the first people to have that choice to do that. And, you know, like you said, Lou, it's like NIL with a purpose, you know, not to degrade anyone else's NIL deals, but this is so, so impactful. You know, we're not just advertising for a product, but we're sharing our knowledge and our expertise and advocating for climate change, which is not only beneficial for us, but for the whole population. (laughs) Amen. You know what? I could not have said it better. And so I won't even try. All I will say is I'm going to end it on that note because it's just so good. And I want to thank Kelsey, Halle, and Natalie, and Caitlin from our earlier conversation for being part of the Eco Athletes Champions group at Rutgers. Also, two other student athletes at Rutgers are part of it, not in this podcast today. Alex Carlson from Track and Field, Big Ten champion in the 3000 meters, and Lou Mial, who actually has graduated and she ran the steeplechase. I'm just grateful for all of you. We really are starting the climate comeback. And when people talk about what we can do on climate, yes, drive less, walk or ride your bike more. Don't drink, use single-use plastics, all of those things. But it's what we're talking about here, policy and talking about it to get people to realize the need for systemic change and then to make that systemic change happen. That's way more impactful. And that you guys are a part of this at this embryonic stage here through the partnership with Knights of the Raritan through the NIL deal is just wonderful. And I'm really glad to have you, that you are the three four with Caitlin who are part of this. So thank you again. And thank you, listeners. We will be back with you with another edition of Green Sports Pod. So we'll see you again next time. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com 
the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod.